are tuned into CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio, and in studio, you have Brennan and Dave and Jody, and we'll hear from Hank and Craig a little later. We got some TV to talk about today, but first, we're going to talk about some comics. So, Brennan, there are two new Vampirella comics that came out last week. What were your thoughts? Okay, so yeah, it seems about every every month or two, I have to bring up Vampirilla or Elvira somehow in the show. But there were two comics that came out, so I thought it'd be good to talk about them. So the first one is Vampirilla Strikes, issue number one. The one thing I do like with Vampirilla is that, and Dynamite does this quite often, that instead of starting from one going up to issue like five or 800, they'll do like a, a, a short story arc and then start over again. So if you miss like the last one, the last one was Vampira, um, I believe it's Unholy something, where she marries Dracula and stuff. It looked okay. I just didn't jump on, and now it's done as something is, is new. So you kind of feel good about, you know, jumping on clean slate and seeing how it goes. So this one actually is a continuation of the last story. So the Vengeance of Vampirilla. So according to the, the beginning, like the introduction, it's been 15 years since the death of Mistress Nix, and the world is slowly recovering but this isn't a world that we've ever seen before. This is a world where the natural and the supernatural have merged to create a dangerous new place, a world very much in need of Vampirilla. So this new city has emerged, a sepulcher rises from the ashes of what happened before. Um, they kind of thought the whole world was so destroyed, nothing would, would ever prosper, but now they are. So we have this world where we have uh, humans and creatures and magic sort of all coexisting. As a kid, one of my favorite book series was called uh, Myth Inc. And it was kind of like a detective story. And there was like gangsters and detectives, but like some of them were like little creatures and some of them were like demons. And it kind of reminds me of this in a more mature kind of way. So now we have monsters and humans, and of course they don't like each other. Uh, Vampirilla is now working with a group called the Dance Macabre. That is kind of, I guess they're kind of the sheriff slash police force slash CSI, FBI kind of thing. She's called on a case. There's been this gang murder. And it's a little bit like Vampirilla in Judge Dredd. So she has like this black outfit with gold that actually kind of looks like Judge Dredd. She shows up on her motorbike and I'm going to solve the case. And it's, it's actually pretty fun. The last, like the Vengeance of Vampirilla was, was fine. It was good. I don't know. This one's a little, I mean, it's not lighthearted per se. Like it's still pretty dark as far as like some of the gore and things and still has like a horror element to it. But the fact that it's kind of like a horror element combined with a detective kind of story, police kind of thing, like a police procedural starring Vampirilla. It was good. Like issue one, the art, the art is really good. We've already met a couple mysterious characters that we're not quite sure what they're going to do yet. And some weapons have appeared that have not existed for centuries that are going to run in chaos. So uh, the setup is good. The art's good. Um, if you're a Vampirilla fan, you're looking for something in a detective kind of way, a cop story. Um, yeah. Issue one was definitely worth a worth a read, so uh, go check it out. Awesome. Now there was another Vampirella comic that came out this week too. What was yes, that? and the other one is Vampirella Bloodlust, and this is the James Robinson Joe Jusco story. Now this one first appeared as a Harris comic in 1997. Um, and you can actually find the entire Bloodlust series in a graphic novel. That's, I already own it. Um, and they call it the Masterpiece series. And what they did, they took all the kind of really well-known comic creators and writers 
they did Vampirilla comics and reprinted them in a graphic novel. But this is issue one reprinted again as a single issue. James Robinson, for those of you who probably know out there, uh, did a book called Starman in the 90s, which is still one of my all-time favorite comic series ever. So it's nice to see him. And he's, he's such a wonderful writer. He, he does a really good job of finding nuance in his character and being able to write into a character instead of just making his character sound like him. Um, Joe Jesco does the art. And it's very much like a Fra Franzetta, Frank Franzetta. Is that the name I'm thinking of? Who did like a lot of the heavy metal kind of artwork. It looks like that. It's hand painted. This looks like it could be the, every panel looks like it could be a cover of like a, a heavy metal magazine. In this story, it bridges the gap between when Vampirilla is, is murdered by Mistress Nix. And then she's reborn with a new mission to hunt down all the vampires. And this story takes place in between the time when she comes back to life and has to hunt down the vampires. She finds herself with, um, Adam Van Helsing, and they're in hell, but it turns out hell is actually Draculon, so the planet that she's from. In this story, it's actually a section of, of an area of hell, it's not an alien planet. So throughout this story, she has to find out why her city, her planet is now like a barren wasteland. Well, it turns out that Nyx is sucking up all the life-giving blood that Dracula needs to survive to keep herself alive. So she has to decide, will she rescue her mother or will she save the planet? This story, as it goes on, um, now this is only the end of issue one. There's a little bit of uh, revamping of her history and things, again, making her more of a fantasy character, you know, having Dracula be part of hell and not an actual alien planet as was original history. The artwork is, is beautiful, like all throughout. Um, if you're any kind of fan of hand-painted artwork in the heavy metal style, definitely check it out. The writing is good. Again, it's a story that's been out for a while, but I've, I've even read it and rereading it, I had kind of forgotten about it. So it's really worth a check out, uh, especially if you want to check out some, some stories in her history that maybe you can't find in the graphic novels quite so easily anymore. Um, and it's nice having it as a single issue. I'm a single issue guy, like don't get me wrong, I love the convenience of getting a graphic novel where I have it all in one collection. It looks nice on my shelf. I don't have to find the single issues, but I, there's something about just reading the single issue and then knowing that, ooh, another one's coming out um, is, is really good. So if you're looking for something that's retro, but you know not as retro as the, the late 60s, early 70s, and again, if you're a James Robinson fan with beautiful artwork, uh, go pick this one up. Now, I don't even know, I'm assuming they're doing the whole series or is it just a one shot? Do we know? Do you know at all, Jody? It says, it says end of book one and that's all it says. So I'm assuming they might be printing the other ones, but if not, still check it out. I think it came in as a one shot. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. We'll look into that. But um, I think it's interesting that you said, like you mentioned Frank Frazetta, and that, you know, sort of that painted, you know, heavy metal artwork, uh, because last week we also got Death Dealer number one, which is um, Frank Frazetta's legendary creation, but it's like new artists and new writers working on it. And I flipped through it and I, I didn't like the copy. Like I didn't like how it, like the actual words looked on, like it just, it was like so stark and kind of modern looking alongside Frank's style of hand-painted art that I was just like, nope. So I didn't look into it, but it, yeah, it's interesting that that Vampirella and the Death Dealer comic came out at the same time. So mm. maybe I'll give it another shot. Maybe I'll pick up Death Dealer this week and, and 
actually give it a chance because I do love Frank's art. He is brilliant, but I don't know. I just, there was something off. I was just kind of like, yeah, no, not for me. Maybe they're but, just going for a different kind of look. Maybe. Anyway, yeah. we'll see. Because the, the lettering definitely does stand out when you have like a nice hand painted comic, right? And I think you, you sort of can't get away with that. At, at, you know what I mean? <laughs> you have to kind of overlook it a little bit, maybe. I guess so. I'm being picky, but you know, there's a lot of choice. I'm spoiled for choice out there. There's a lot of great comics and there's only so much time. Great comics and great TV. Okay, well, with that thought, uh, we're going to talk about Kids in the Hall. Kids in the Hall, huge fan. Dave is a huge fan. It's kind of one of the first bonds that we had when we started dating a very long time ago was that we both loved Kids in the Hall a yeah. ton. Um, and it's back. It's back on TV. It, there's eight episodes. Uh, it is directed by Kelly Macon and Alyssa Young. They basically split the, the load. And Kelly Macon did The Kids in the Hall in the 90s, uh, also directed Brain Candy and also directed uh, Death Comes to Town. Alyssa Young, bit of a youngster, Ooh. as her name uh, would say. And she is responsible for directing the Baroness Von Sketch show. Oh, so, that's some credibility. So right that there. is absolutely some good credibility and some good Canadian sketch calm. So I can, I understand why they would have brought her on board. I, with the first couple of episodes, I was kind of like, nah, I don't know, like it feels like Zoolander 2. It feels like it's kind of funny and I like the characters, but it's just a rehash of the old, but it's gotten so much better as we've gone on. We have two episodes left and the writing is better. I do like that they've only paid like little bits of homage to some of their recurring characters because that can get annoying. Like the, the head crushing guy is just sort of a sideline in another sketch, super drunk. Which Same with was, Gavin. Yeah, and we'll they probably- They throw them in there. They give you a little taste, but these are like new sketches. They're not just retreading. And, and that's what uh, that's what we've always loved about the kids in the hall. Like even when we went to see them live over the years, they would always have a few new video sketches to play during like an intermission or something. And they never really lost their touch for great sketch comedy. Sketch comedy is always hit or miss. So we're not saying every single sketch is an absolute gut buster. But by episode three, we were laughing really hard at it again. And then pretty soon we were inviting let's say the return of the Cathy's or the return of Gavin or anticipating the return of Bobby Terrence even though that hasn't happened yet I feel uh, like it will I feel like it will yeah I think we'll get slices of our favorite characters but I like the new sketches my favorite one so far has been I think it was in episode four or it's like the apocalypse and there's a morning DJ and he's in a bomb shelter and he has 145 and it's Melanie's brand new key he has to keep playing it over and over and it's like funny and really sad at the same time which I think they have a special gift for like traipsing that line really well um you've watched a few episodes what what are your impressions Brennan uh the same way now I've only gotten to the first couple so uh I'm just like at the starting off point um 
I do like how they're really sticking with their kind of brand of, of humor. Um, even like the very first sketch in the first episode, just how someone calls the, the dessert a pie instead of a tart and just how it can keep going to only an ending that the kids of the hall could, could come up with, right? I haven't got past that, you know, like I said, episode one or episode two, but I think they're doing a really good job of keeping the style. I like how it even kind of feels like the original 90s show, just how it's set up and it's little in-between things. Um, I like their super fans they have that are from different cities that are like checking in and things that are like kind of cameos from other famous Canadian actors and comedians and things. I'm actually looking forward to getting into it because I kind of heard the same thing that it's a bit of a slow burn at the beginning, but once you get into it, it, it ramps up more. So um, now that I've heard more about it, I'm excited for episode three and four, but if you're a Kids in the Hall fan, definitely check it out. And if you're new, if you're not sure what it is we're talking about, go check it out and then go back and watch the early ones if you can find it somewhere. Which actually, was a, they were on Crave, weren't they? Or Prime, the old ones, at one point? Yeah. I'm sure they were. So I think one time I wasn't feeling good and I landed on the couch and I watched like a whole day worth of Kids in the Hall. They've cropped up here and there ever since the like late 80s, early 90s, or when they went off the air in the mid 90s. There's always been a way to stream the kids, but I mean, we never had to do that because Jody used to record them all on VHS. So, you know, those are, those are still there in the closet whenever we need them. Yeah, I am hardcore. Like when the special came out when I was in high school, it totally blew my mind. I watched it a million times. I made a cassette of it so I could listen to it on my Walkman. Like I was in deep and I still love them to this day. They are super talented and super amazing. And really they could have done almost anything and I wouldn't have been too disappointed because it's just, sure. it's more kids. So I'm just, I'm really happy to have them back. And I'm proud that they are our Canadian boys doing well again. And they don't have to behave for like CRTC regulations anymore. So like, you'll really notice that in those first couple of episodes. Like if it doesn't make you laugh, it will make your jaw drop at a few points because. Nudity, language, production value. They have a lot more money to spend on their sketches than they ever did before. And so that's amped things up quite a bit. For sure. So that's great. So, all right, well, we're going to throw things over to Hank and Craig and see where they're at for the week. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about a new TV show called We Own This City and a documentary from Netflix called Like a Rolling Stone, which is the story of Ben Fong Torres. Hey, everybody, this is Craig Silliphant on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM. And I am joined, as always, by my good buddy, my uh, wingman. Hank Cruz. Uh, excuse me. Uh, could you um, Sorry, tell them you my to real refer name? Refer to you by your call sign. Yes, please. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm here joined by my good friend Commando, call sign <laughs> Commando, uh, and I am a call sign Wisdom, yes. uh, which is very stupid and nerdy sounding, and everybody else gets a cooler call sign than me. But we went to www.whatsmycallsign.com uh, a little bit of AR that the uh, people behind Top Gun have put together so I'm sure our likenesses are now uh, you know being uploaded into the Russian uh, database uh, the bots and the click farms and all that stuff but uh, you know it gave us call signs uh, and a little picture of ourselves with the helmet on it with the call sign so that was pretty fun Hank got commando I assume that's because you're not you don't wear underwear uh, you know what? Uh, as soon as the temperature is uh, above zero, uh, commando all the way, man. Yeah. That's it's aerodynamics, I suppose. It is. You, you got the need for speed. I do. I got the need for speed. 
Yeah, well, I think wisdom is something that would be cool to put on my tombstone, but I think I could have something way cooler on my naval aviator helmet. Uh, you know what? Like, uh, I, uh, I, I'll be your wingman anytime. Okay, it doesn't matter what your call sign is. Yes, you could be my wingman. Wait, that's what you said. Wait a second. So uh, we screwed that up. But you know what? You, you can be the goose to my maverick anytime. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, didn't. How come I have to goose die? Spoilers. Allegedly. We'll find out. I gotta say, like, uh, we weren't really gonna talk about this specifically today. Maybe we should save it till next week. But uh, Top Gun comes out next week. I am like, for a a big, like, blockbuster Hollywood movie starring Tom Cruise, which is normally something I wouldn't care that much about, I'm all in on this. It's getting stellar advanced reviews. So I'm super pumped about this. Oh, yeah. And we get to go to the Wednesday night, like, super sneak screening with free things they're going to hand out and all sorts of, oh, yeah. Maybe they'll give me a helmet with my call sign on it. So maybe. what uh, what do you want to talk about this week? You got anything specific? Well, I had uh, some other things to talk about, but uh, last night I uh, stumbled upon a uh, documentary on Netflix called Our Father. Have you heard about it? Uh, Yeah. Isn't that the one about the, like, sperm donation thing? Yeah. Yeah, so I had never heard of this before, but uh, as it turns out, uh, this one uh, woman, uh, Jacoba, I believe is her name, uh, she took one of those uh, DNA tests at home for like 23andMe or whatever yeah. it is, and then uh, these uh, a few half-siblings popped up or whatever, and she's like, oh, there's people out there, and so she tried to contact them, and all of a sudden, as the plot thickens, you find out that all of their parents had gone to this fertility clinic. Uh, where this doctor was using his own sperm to inseminate, to like artificially inseminate these women. And they finally like caught him and uh, he said, oh, I only did it a few times. And, you know, I um, just wanted to help people have babies. And then the plot thickens further where you find out it's like, oh, not a couple times, like a zillion times. A couple hundred times. And and all of these people live in the same area. So the point was that, well, they usually say you can only have like a sperm donor for like two or three people that live in the same geographical area because you run a risk of, well, now people are marrying each other and it's like turns it weird. Um, and then they throw in a thing about him uh, and the church where they believe that uh, they should repopulate the earth with uh, white people because, uh, well, there's too many immigrants m- moving in um, that uh, don't believe the same thing as them. So uh, he thought, uh, you know, they alluded to this, they didn't go too deep into it, that it was kind of like his mission to, you know, put as many kids out there as possible. And then uh, the scary thing was that uh, at least one of these women ended up going to him as their doctor. So they're gynecologist or something. And now it's all of a sudden the guy who's like your biological dad that's doing like examinations on you and stuff. But the weird thing, uh, well, the most upsetting thing was that at the time it was not illegal for him to do that because they consented to have to be artificially inseminated. And there was nothing on there that said that you had to prove who the guy was because right. it's anonymous or whatever. And we're now, uh, of course, you go and you can like look at everybody's profiles and all this. Was, that was back before that happened. Um, but he would uh, get them to go into the exam room to get changed. He would go into his office, uh, deposit a specimen into a cup and fill up the syringe and go and uh, artificially inseminate these women. By the end of the show, I know this is all spoilers, but it's still worth watching. Um, at the time of like putting this all together, 95 or 96 people have found out that they're all this guy's their biological father 
and just imagine how many more after this documentary has come out now. Like I just, I, I it just blows my mind. So you but have to maybe, like, if you live in that area, you'd need to get like a DNA test before you go on a date with somebody yep. really like, Oh yeah. Uh, like otherwise so you're many. potentially dating your half sister pretty quickly. Yeah, half sister, half brother. And now you got with them having kids, you got cousins and nieces and nephews and all sorts of things running around that day. I'm like unbelievable. Um, but they couldn't arrest him on that. It was kind of like a uh, Al Capone thing where it's like, they got him on tax evasion. This guy that they tried to put him away for uh, um, fraud, but he never went to jail. Like it was just like, un but it's worth watching. It's about an hour and a half long. Um, wow, I've never heard of this before. Oh, and the other thing at the end, they say that this, this is the most prolific, but there's at least another 45 doctors that have been caught doing this. Right. <laughs> like, oh my God. There's, yeah. a, uh, there's a great X-Files episode called Small Potatoes written by uh, Darren Morgan, who writes like a lot of the quirkier episodes. And it focuses on, that's sort of the main premise. And then it goes crazy places from there. But uh, if you like the X-Files, check out Small Potatoes uh, and... I guess also the movie that you're talking about. What's it called? Our Our Father. Our Father. Yep. Uh, I have been watching this week. Uh, we own this city. Have you had a chance yes. to check any of that out? Oh yeah, I'm caught up now. I'm okay. loving it. I'm not quite caught up, but uh, has the fourth episode dropped as of this recording? Uh, yes, as of this recording, okay. it has. Okay, so I'm about three quarters of the way through the third episode. I I just have to finish that and then the fourth one. But uh, it's uh, a mini series, six episodes. Uh, written and developed by George Pelicanos and David Simon, who, of course, we know as two of the major minds behind The Wire, probably the greatest television series that has, you know, arguably ever been on TV. Now, this is in the same place, Baltimore, not the same world. And in fact, a lot of the, the actors from The Wire come back to new parts. In fact, uh, like Marlo, one of the big gangsters from The Wire, is now a homicide detective in, in We Own the City. Uh, but it really it details the rise and fall of the Baltimore Police Department's gun trace task force and then the corruption not only surrounding it, but just sort of law enforcement in general, especially in Baltimore. Uh, you know, some good actors in it. There's John Bernthal's really good as Sergeant Wayne Jenkins. He was like a central figure in that. This is all based on a book, too. So I think there's a lot of truth to this. I would say, like, if I had any complaint about it, it jumps around through, I think, three timelines. And sometimes it's sort of hard to follow in that way. But I mean, as we know from watching The Wire, like, you know, The Wire could also be hard to follow, you know, when you first started with it, mostly based on the fact that they didn't slow down to give you a bunch of explanations and exposition. They dropped into the deep end with police terminology and stuff. Uh, but I am loving this show so far. I mean, it's just it's more it's just like having another wire. Basically, the stories they're telling are really good. And the uh, just it's so smart how they sort of break down all this corruption and what it looks like and how these cops got into it in the first place. And, uh, you know, if you don't have enough money to buy the expensive crabs, then you got to start, uh, you know, being on the take on the job, I guess. So um, that one's on HBO on Crave. Definitely worth checking out. I think we're out of time, but we should probably throw back to Jody here. So uh, quick thoughts, your quick thoughts on We Own the City. My quick thoughts. Uh, I, I think I mentioned last week or the week before that I had to watch uh, the first episode twice because I'm yep. like, oh, you really got to pay attention. Um, after watching it the second time, I'm like, oh, yeah. And now uh, the other episodes have been amazing. So everybody has to watch it. Yeah. And, and I think it's definitely one you could watch just like The Wire. I've seen that series yep. through a few times. You pick up something really, new from it every time. So 
I don't know about you, but it makes me really want to travel to Baltimore. It seems like the place I want to be. So yeah. I think we should go say, yeah, take a uh, summer vacay there. Yeah. I'm sure the flights will be cheap out there this time of year. All right. Well, we got to throw back to Jody here. That's uh, Commando and uh, Wisdom, Wisdom signing <laughs> off. Uh, so, you know, we have the ball. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. talk to you next week. I got the need for speed. All right. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, we watched Like a Rolling Stone, which is a new documentary on Netflix. And it is the story of Ben Fong Torres. If you're not familiar with him, he basically created Rolling Stone. Uh, when Rolling Stone first came out, it was kind of a pop culture mag. And he had the music section of it. And eventually it just morphed into just music pretty much and then you know a little bit other political stuff kind of tagged along for the ride but if it wasn't for Ben it wouldn't have become what it was he had a really special gift for just asking good questions and being patient with people and being an excellent journalist and working hard the story is really compelling because it tells a lot about his Chinese American heritage how his family came under like really strict times where like they were restricting um, Chinese immigrants at that time. So he, his dad kind of lied and said that he was Filipino, hence the Torres part of his name and just worked his butt off for his family. And even when um, Ben was super successful and Rolling Stone moved to New York city, he stayed in San Francisco to be with his family, to like care for his parents and to make sure that everything was running properly which is really admirable you don't see that quality very often he's you can just tell that he's a good man you definitely can he's a likable character which is sometimes important in a a rock doc like these you don't always get that they sometimes have to work really hard not to expose the main person as a jerk my favorite thing about this documentary is because we're big fans of the film almost famous and that's actually, I think, probably the first time where I heard the name Ben Fong Torres because he is a small character in that movie. And of course, that's a Cameron Crowe script. And one of the best parts of Like a Rolling Stone is Cameron Crowe kind of takes over and interviews Ben Fong Torres for a part of it. And so it's almost like seeing uh, William Miller having those scenes in Almost Famous, <laughs> except it's the real live grown up William Miller, AKA Cameron Crowe, who sort of based the script on himself. And yeah, you can just tell these guys have like a 40 year history that goes deep with like a love for rock journalism. And also the shared notion that like, you can't get swept up in all the free stuff that these rock stars will give you and still be a good journalist. You have to remain detached as few were willing to do. Yeah, you got to do the job. Um, it's great. It, it, you should check it out. It's interesting on a lot of levels. There's a lot of great cameos from very famous people. So if you're into rock history at all, then you should definitely check out Like a Rolling Stone. It's on Netflix and it's on now. And we ran out of time. I'm sorry, we we're going to have to just wait on We Own This City. Well, maybe we can wait. It's it's going to be over in two weeks. So maybe we can talk about it when people can actually go out and binge the whole thing. Because I, I feel like if we were able to do that, we would have. Yes, we would have. It's amazing. It's the best show I've seen in a really long time. And there's been a lot of great shows out. It's from the makers of The Wire. And it's uh, basically more wire. Kind of wire adjacent. Yeah. So more kids, more wire, 
we've been uh, treated this week to a lot of great stuff. So that wraps it up for another episode of Punch Radio. You know where to find us here every Friday at 6 p.m. on CFCR. In the meantime, I rode my bicycle past your window last night.